Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. to another episode of Turn the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I'm Kieran Steckley. With me, as always, is a man who is the Stanley Cups of journalists. He is Cody Stavenhagen. How you doing? Kieran, what? we haven't even talked about this, man. How can you just read my mind? There's some things that get me riled up. I'm a little riled up about these Stanley Cups. Like, why are they such a big deal? Are they really that much better than any other cup? I have my doubts. I, I just have... I, I did Christmas, I did two different white elephants, and damn near everyone brought either a Stanley or a Yeti, and I didn't really want either. I left there with a Yeti, uh, which is fine, you know, I've been drinking out of it, but I don't know, I, I, I'm just not all aboard the, the Stanley Cups train. It, it, like, when you see it on X, formerly known as Twitter, it seems made up. Like, some of the things that you, like, see in, like, obsessions, and what was that one where a person, like just like walked out of starbucks with like a you know like a case of them or whatever like i I, like i the yeti stuff is like is an obsession but i don't remember maybe they're just too classy these yeti folks to to do this but i don't remember people doing this for like yeti things back when that was like you know the first the first big rage and and yeah i mean i i can't imagine it's remotely worth it or the or the the rage of uh, of emotion that comes with these cups. I don't understand. It kind of took me by surprise, and it it does kind of get my blood boiling a little bit. Like, why is this a thing? We have an election this year, people. Why are we focusing on Stanley Cups? Well, it's been good for the economy, I guess. Uh, listeners out there, if you use a Stanley, let us know what's so great about this cup, because I'm literally, I, I don't understand. I did see something on Instagram that was like the, the male equivalent of the Stanley is a plastic cup you got at a minor league baseball game that you exclusively <laughs> drink tap water out of and it was a picture of a toledo mudhens cup and i was like hey i felt pretty i feel pretty seen right now because i do like my, my little stadium cups yeah mine would be the stadium cups that you never use because you don't want to wash them because you don't want to you know like get the get the uh, the graphics uh dirtied in any way or whatever so i guess i guess we all have our things now don't we cody uh all right, so this we had a podcast come out New Year's Day, uh, but we recorded that obviously before that. So this is our first recording of a podcast in the new year, twenty twenty four. And I, I got, I we gotta be honest with you, Cody. I, I start feeling myself a little baseball. I get a little, a, a little baseball longing right now. And I don't know if, uh, if you feel that way or if uh, the listeners do. I assume, uh, but like I've just found it's obviously it's not nearly as cold as it is uh, up there in Michigan, but, you know, it's getting down into the low 30s at night, and I'm like, you know what? I kind of want to go outside and grill. Mm. Like, you know, it's... Yeah, after a pretty bad week of weather, Lakeland is starting to sound pretty good. (laughs) And, you know, that stuff uh, is, you know, coming right around the corner, and uh, you did a mailbag this week, and I thought, as usual, 
the athletic subscribers had some really good questions in there. Uh, but there was one central piece to the mailbag that I, that I kind of wanted to start out here because it's, it's not an original talking point, but it's one that we kind of have to keep wrapping our minds around. And that's the third base thing. So you had questions about Colt Keith. I know it's not strictly third base, but you know, kind of on the in the realm there. And then what the plan is uh, for the season. And it got me thinking. Last year, Tigers went into the season with like some guys, and didn't really choose to make a whole lot of effort and resources into solidifying the position. Fast forward to this year. The Tigers chose to not allocate a whole lot of resources or efforts into solidifying the position. Options, but not solidified. And I'm thinking, you know, if the season goes awry or if there's like a glaring hole at the five hole... It's going to be pretty, like, we're going to we're gonna think in, like, June and be like, hey, remember when we kind of, like, oh, uh, OCDO, like, third base again? <laughs> like, it's going to be one of those things that's going to be qu- pretty easy to second guess. And that doesn't necessarily mean that it's right. These guys could be formidable at third base. You know, Beerling, Banez, you know, wait for Jace to see what happens there. But it is one of those things that I feel like for ba- – Scott hasn't really had back-to-backs, I feel like, in terms of uh, in terms of things that he's kind of deciding not to do. And this, but this is one of them. So I just I just found it interesting that we're talking about it. It's obviously a concern for the fans, and the Tigers seem to think it'll be okay, and they may be right. But we went through this last year, and it wasn't. So that 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 was. That was my thoughts as uh, people are priming to figure out what the hell is the plan uh, for the hot corner. Yeah, I mean, this is something we've talked about all off offseason. Um, I, I, I forgive the fans who were in, in Lions mode or whatever and, and maybe are just kind of now catching up. <laughs> that's kind of what I thought was going on there with the mailbag, and, that, and that's cool. But who, who do you want at third base? That's what I'm going to come back to. I don't want to sound like I'm just defending you know the hell out of the Tigers but and I didn't like last year that they just kind of punted on third base but this year I get it okay because Veerling and Andy Ibanez and Zach McKinstry like those guys aren't going to be all-stars but maybe a little better players than they get credit for all three of them Andy Ibanez had an 819 OPS after June 1st he's a better defender at second but assuming Colt Keith is primarily playing second. We could see a lot of Abanias at third, in addition to Veerling. Um, but the thing is, you got Matt Chapman in free agency. The Tigers, I, I guess maybe you could make that argument, but the Tigers are not going to hand out a multi-year expensive deal uh, when they hope Jace Young can be the future at third base. They're just not going to do it. We can debate whether that's right or wrong. It's not going to happen. So outside of Matt Chapman, there ain't nobody in free agency that I like. The trade market, maybe you should be scrounging the trade market looking for third base options. I'm sure Scott Harris has considered this. Other than the name Isak Paredes that I wouldn't be thrilled about a reunion with. I think he could regress some from his performance last year. 
I'm not seeing any names that I would rather have as like a one-year option at third base. I, I, I haven't heard a name. So until you got a name for me, my response is not going to change. Yeah, and that's fair. And then it kind of gets into, as we get closer to the spring training, like some people have kind of floated out there. Like, could you, would Chapman get to the point where he might accept a one-year deal for however much cash? Uh, if he were, I would say you would have to consider it. Um, but I, I'm, I'm with you on the whole multi-year contract, high money thing when it comes to him. But it, I think third base in a lot of ways is kind of like catcher. Like, obvious, not don't take this like one for one, but there's a lot of teams that aren't necessarily happy at third base. You know, sure. and, and, that, and, that's why, and that's why the market's not that great. And, you know, for the trade stuff, it's like, you know, you can't trade for somebody for free. Trade, too, yeah. What, what are we giving up here? Yeah, know? what are we giving up here? So, uh, so yeah, I mean, I don't disagree with the notion, but I can't help the feeling of being like, yeah, but, you know, if this don't work out, it could get ugly quickly again. Um, and so, so yeah, and, and maybe this becomes a thing where, like, you know, let's not, let's throw, we think Jayhan's going to get any work there too, or is he going to be strictly outfield uh, DH? I, I don't know what they're going to do with that guy, man. I'm not <laughs> sure anybody knows. I, I, he's, he's pretty rough at third. I think he will not play there very much. Doesn't mean he won't play there at all. Um, and here, here's how I look at it too. And I get why fans are upset by not really having a third baseman. I guess if the Tigers were in F it win now mode, they would be pursuing Matt Chapman. One of the more instructive things about this offseason is looking at what they're doing at third, looking at what they're doing across the board. They're trying to be good next year. They're not pushing all their chips in on the table, but their payroll is staying extremely low, extremely flexible. Next year's free agent class is a whole lot better. I, I guess I can't say for a fact they're going to spend a year from now. Scott Harris, maybe that's just not his brand. But if they don't spend a year from now, I will be critical of it. Because there are some good players who could be worthy of good contracts. Alex Bregman being one of them. That Bregman, he has to stay healthy. He has to have a good year. His power may never come back like it did the first couple years of his career. But he'd be a heck of a third baseman that I would probably have, rather have long term. Um, or, what if, man, what if Jace Young pops? Then this whole equation is a little bit different. Uh I think it tells you a lot about where the Tigers are at in their timeline. Well, it's it, okay. Yes. And I do agree with you that they're trying to be good. I think they're trying to be good organically. Is is that kind of like a, a way to yeah, put it? Yeah, that's, that's spot on. Like not really trying and it, to it might not yourself. work that yeah. we do have to, like, it might yeah. not work. You have a lot of young hitters. As I've said repeatedly, this offense could still be pretty, pretty weak. And, Again, if we're going to say, like, things that give me trepidation, uh, I, I'm obviously – the minor league stuff is not, like, what I do, so I don't try to claim to be experts on these guys. I'm obviously not, I you know, watching them with my own eyes or, you know, breaking down tape or even advanced numbers or whatever. But the bottom line is you're, you're still kind of moving a guy to a relatively new position in Jace, and then that's what you're kind of hoping pops. Again, if we were going to look back on this – those would be the kind of things that you would be like, all right, well, you tried to do this, 
and that was a pretty easy to push back on decision and it didn't work out and and this that the other thing you know like i i think i think it's at least fair to point out um and on the the free agency thing you know fans justifiably so like i watched the postseason and i'm like man wouldn't it be fun to see the tigers in the postseason again hasn't hasn't had happened in uh you know long time long time makes me feel old actually because i remember the last time they were in the postseason i was still in college and we were we were watching those games at my little house uh little shack uh right there at the strip in stillwater and so like wow the, the playoff drought's been that long wow it's been that long since i was in college damn anyway uh this has been a very patient rebuild, but at the same time, you have to uh, you have to take into account that fans are yearning for it, and they want the microwave uh, approach where it's like, go sign this guy, go do this. And that was another question: Are they going to bring in another, you know, major league hitter? And 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 you and we've talked about it. You've answered it. There's not really any uh, any that makes a lot of sense outside of a JD Martinez, which I think fans would love. But as we've talked about, A.J. Hinch is not going to want to uh, – you're not going to take that flex. Over his dead body, you take away his flexibility with the, with the D.H. spot. So I, I think, barring something unexpected, which is my question, you're, the roster is kind of set. Wouldn't we say, like, barring something weird uh, – maybe not weird, but barring – In terms like, of, like, big stuff, yes. I yeah, think there th- could still I mean. be a couple little moves. I – I, I, I like to think Scott Harris is out there trying to make some kind of trade, but even if he does make a trade, I, I don't see it having much impact on like the projected opening day roster. I think we're, we're pretty close to set here. Um, and if I were to, I, I can buy into the DH thing a lot more than I do the third base thing, because you can get a dude to DH for one year and it's not really going to impact the long term of your plan here. Um, I get the flexibility aspect of it. I get, you kind of need to DH Riley green a little bit. Cause you got to keep this guy healthy. Um, and the idea is like, Oh, we haven't had the DH spot open in so many years. We've had Miguel Cabrera thing is, would you rather have a little flexibility or would you rather have a guy who could come in and bop 30 home runs? A guy who had a 134 OPS plus last year. That was JD Martinez. Um, Jorge Soler is also out there a little different profile, but, uh, these are guys that could easily and immediately impact your lineup, and it might cost you a little flexibility, but if you're talking, hey, we really want to win the AL Central, uh, I, I would be more in favor of that than I would be giving Matt Chapman four or five years, however many millions of dollars. Yeah, because the, the thing is, the, like, the second sentence of we, we haven't had the flexibility to DH spot, the second sentence of that is you also didn't get the production of having right. of having a uh, an everyday DH basically. So, if if you lose the flexibility this year by going to get a JD, in theory you're actually still advancing your lineup because you're gonna have the production unlike you, what you've had the past couple of years. Uh, other newsy items, Cody. We got some arbitration numbers. We got some arbitration numbers and uh, and a. Uh, and a silly arbitration case, I guess. Oh yeah. Say. Oh, the great podcast so, fodder. <laughs> so the the headliner is uh, Scooble agrees to two hundred or excuse me, two point six five million. That might end up being the best bargain in baseball. I think that's, uh, I th- that's gonna that's gonna be up there. 
Jake Rogers, $1.7 million. And uh, good for Akil Badu coming to terms for $1.55 million. So, uh, so good on those guys for getting a little bit of a pay bump and especially, you know, having a smooth arbitration process their first yeah, go-around. I thought Jake was going to get closer to two. I think I could have got Jake closer to two mil. Yeah, pretty good year last year. Catcher, come on. He did. And then, again, these arbitration cases are weird because it's like, I think I'm worth this much. And then, basically, the team has to say, like, well, actually, uh, blah, 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 blah. Which leads us to the the the, the real headline of this is uh, Casey Mize asked for or filed whatever the correct term is, 840k for this season, and the Tigers came in with what was it, 815k. So over a matter of 25k, we're we're, we're a judge is gonna hear, uh, an arbiter I guess is gonna hear uh, the case for both these guys, which on the surface Cody just seems inherently silly it seems silly that we're going to go it's almost a waste of this guy's time honestly to have to hear a case with 25k difference uh but it's a waste of everybody's time okay i didn't know about his money you all right to, i didn't like, know if you were talking about that people <laughs> to like travel like it, this whole thing's gonna end up costing more than 25k i no, like, I think it's stupid, man. There's not really a way to, like, twist and frame this. The, the the thought has been, like, oh, the Tigers are a file and trial club, which means they file the thing, and they, they file their number, and if it's not agreed to, they're just going to go and let an arbiter hear it out, and I guess they want to adhere to a firm principle there, maybe to avoid, like, drama down the road. Um but here's where kind of a lack of flexibility just ends up making you look bad. The word cheap gets thrown around. I don't know if that's it or not. I think I, I think this is where you got to have some feel, right? If there's one thing I worry about with Scott Harris, who I wrote a couple weeks ago, I think he's got this organization in much more healthy shape, actually in pretty quick order, probably a little more than he's getting credit for. But if there's one thing I worry about, it's kind of these these human feel things, like, I think the Turnbull thing, I don't know, man. I think that started with a bad look on the Tigers, evolved in a bunch of weird ways from there. But bottom line was the Tigers had to basically give this guy a year of service time to like wash their hands of it. The Eduardo, the trade stuff, that wasn't a good look for Harris. There's some growing number of examples that are like, what's going on here? And this is one of them. Here's the thing, just because you didn't agree on the salary figure doesn't mean you have to go straight to the arbitration hearing. You can still negotiate up until that hearing date. We're talking 25K. The Tigers should continue to negotiate or they should, could say, you know what, Casey, have your freaking 25K, man. You're our number one pick. We, we like you. That's not going to impact anything in the long term of this franchise. It's less than a rounding um, error. So if, if there's still kind of this stubborn principle, like we're filing trials, so we'll go to the trial. That just makes you look bad. It makes you look inflexible. It makes it look like you don't have any feel. Yeah, I, tell me, tell me the reason why is kind of like what my response would be yeah. to to them. And it's like th- this will blow over. This will hopefully not have any like ramifications. Also, I, I, you think Casey? Look, there's also been this push like, well, arbitration isn't as um, contentious as it used to be. I don't know that that's true. I've never heard a player talk fondly of the arbitration process. 
I think it still gets pretty bad, especially in the era of advanced metrics where they will come in and tear you apart and reduce you to a number. I, I don't know. I haven't talked to Casey Mize, but I doubt he's like, has a, a good taste in his mouth over the team trying to, you know, keep him. Was it, was it Michael Fulmer that you, that Michael that Fulmer like... is the only tiger who has gone to arbitration since 2001, which is a long yeah. time. So and Casey he... Mize as of now is set to join him over $25,000. And I don't think, I mean, I think Fulmer was professional. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think Fulmer was professional about it afterward, but he, you could tell he was mm-hmm. like, it was kind of like a really bro, yeah. you know, thing. Um, and I, don't I will say like, I don't think this is, as bad as the the Rangers being leaps and bounds away from Adelise Garcia. Like yeah. the Tigers actually had the smallest gap. The Rangers trying to suppress the salary of a guy who two point three carried million apart or whatever. Yeah. So that should be kept in perspective. It's not like it's this wide gap to where they're really devaluing the player. But it's so small of a gap that it just seems silly. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. And you know what? I actually do think the Rangers probably aren't getting enough headlines for uh, for for the Adolis Garcia thing because I actually got to ask my buddies how they feel about that. Uh, it's like you know, you know, you certainly don't win a World Series without this guy, and the whole point, the only reason you won the World Series is because spend, 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 spend. Uh, how? What were the t- what was the ticket revenue on that World Series run, <laughs> uh, Mister Davis? Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I think probably less th- or probably more than two point three. Just saying. Uh, so yeah, that's, uh, the Tigers always find a way to be in the headlines for weird, weird reasons. Uh, and I like, I like the point you made about the whole feel thing because, you know, a lot of this stuff is, it's a, and it's another reminder. A lot of this stuff is for the first time, Scott Harris is going through these things with his name on it. And, and that, you know, that's just the reality. So it was kind of like, it was sort of like another reminder, fair or unfair. It's another reminder of like really a young a young executive leading the regime. That's Whether it's what it his seems like, and if that's not the whole truth, Scott's name is still on it. So I think Scott needs to start looking at, okay, how can I start preventing some of these little micro dramas that, that seem to stem from a lack of feel, whether it's his fault or not, it's his name on it. Yep. All right, Cody. Uh, we haven't kind of dove into this yet. And, not really any particular reason, but as we're getting to crunch time, we're about, I don't know, 10 days or whatever away from the Hall of Fame announcements, uh, the latest ballots being released, and see who gets in. And, you know, another thing that kind of I was talking about things earlier that kind of snuck up on me, uh, Gary Sheffield, former Tiger, being his last year of eligibility, um, 10th year, snuck up on me because that means he hasn't played in 15 years. Uh, so, <laughs> so yeah, this is a guy that, uh, you know, I have fond memories watching. Like, I, I feel like people our age, Cody, kind of grew up with Gary Sheffield. And since, uh, even though he was, you know, if he played 22 years. That's another thing that stands out. But anyway, he, he's a guy, he's, we got to talk about him because he's a guy with ties to the Tigers and, you know, two ties with Jim Leland, who obviously just got in and I was kind of going through the ballot and, you know, there's been some stories about Sheffield, especially because it's, like, his last year or whatever. But I just feel like he's kind of the least talked about Hall of Fame resume player, which is clear. 
with some ties to the, to the steroid era. And, you know, I'm not here to say what's legit, what's not. I'm just saying the ties exist. Uh, and I was curious as to why. I was curious as to why. So anyway, you obviously, as, as listeners know, grew up an Atlanta Braves fan. And, and he was on those teams that, uh, you know, prolonged the, uh, the division streak and, and, you know, had some moments there in the postseason. So your thoughts on Gary Sheffield in general, do you, where do you kind of stand on, on him? As, and do you have any reasons why we just don't seem to talk about him all that much? I'm I'm confused at why he hasn't been talked about more. I it, like you, you know. I knew he was had been excluded from the hall. I knew he hadn't gotten in, and then it's like one day you look up and it's like, oh, this is last year on the ballot. Wow, and then like you start thinking, why is this man? Why is this guy not in the Hall of Fame? And if it's just the PED stuff, why is this not like a bigger discussion in terms of? Bond, Sosa, Clemens, Maguire, like, like when you think of PED users, it actually takes me a while to get to Gary Sheffield. Um, mm-hmm. and we can, we can talk more about that in a little bit, but to me, Gary Sheffield's one of the mo- most iconic players of a generation. He was very successful for a very long time. He's a member of the 500 home run club. Um, he was one of my favorite players to watch. I think because of the way he hit, because of the the bat waggle, because of the 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 swagger and potency he brought to the game, because of his opinionated nature that some a lot of people knocked him for, but I think that made him a it made him someone you wanted to pay attention to. That's very much who Gary Sheffield was to me as a player. And in retirement, it, it, his his legacy has faded a little bit, and. To be honest, I'm not, I'm I'm not sure that that should be the case. Um, so I gotta admit, like I have talked to Gary. I'm writing the Sheffield story. Uh, I think there's gonna be some good stuff in there, so I will save it and and maybe we can talk a little more next week about how the sausage is made there. But <laughs> I, look, I don't have a Hall of Fame vote, and my story is not gonna be a column. It's not gonna be advocacy for Sheffield. But if I did have a Hall of Fame vote, I would vote for Gary. And I've said before, I would vote for all these guys with ties to PEDs because ultimately I don't care. B, we still don't have a firm grasp on who was using and who wasn't. There are a lot of players they played against who were juicing. There are a couple guys, for David Ortiz being the big one, who have ties to PEDs that are in the Hall of Fame. That somehow just everyone kind of overlooks that. Like, it makes no sense. There's so many double standards. These are the greatest players of a generation. I would vote for all of them. Uh, Sheffield turns out far more candid on his ties to steroids than most players, uh, which is interesting. Again, we can talk about that in a little bit, but I think the guy should be in the Hall of Fame. It, I think he's going to get pretty close this year, but it's it's looking unlikely that he will get in, which means he will then go to an errors committee and all that all that fun stuff. You know, it seems to me, Cody, and broadly, but this also applies to Sheffield, that of all of all the guys that are not in, that you feel like just on the surface, just on the baseball card stats and and how you remember them, that are that are not in, it it's all of it has to do with kind of likability or lack like thereof. It. I mean, I mean, obviously, like Ortiz. 
Was there anyone of that generation more likable than Ortiz? Like, I mean, even even that that ALCS in 2013 was crushing, but like you still couldn't like be right. mad. You know what I mean? Uh, it's David Ortiz and the emotion of it. This is my epic city. You know, blah blah blah. Uh, Manny got weird at the end, so I guess maybe he's a little bit of an exception to what I was saying because there's still like you know he's still pretty likable at the time. But Sheffield polarizing. Uh, Barry Bonds polarizing mark mcguire polarizing sammy sosa polarizing kurt schilling although not ped related but polarizing roger clemens for ped allegedly and uh other stuff i'll just say polarizing so it's kind of weird that we're in this era of guys that we know we watch our hall of famers sammy bonds sheffield clemens schilling like now, obviously, I'm missing some. McGuire, I'm missing some, but you get the point. They are Hall of Famers. We watched Hall of Famers, and they're not in, and I think, and weirdly, it kind of has a lot to do with, I think, the guys, fair or not fair, the guys that they were and the relationships they either didn't build or whatever, because we have a history of overlooking uh, some of this stuff, and and we haven't with these guys. So I, I, I just find that interesting, and, and Sheffield... I got to thinking specifically about Sheffield, and I was like, you know what? I th- he doesn't belong to anybody. I think that. I mean, he yeah. he he played for. Let me get that number right. He played eight for teams. how many? Eight. Eight. Eight teams, and Florida was the longest with uh, six, and so there's no fan base that will kind of go to bat for Gary Sheffield like they would like the Giants with Barry Bonds or like if they had a good relationship like the Cubs with Sammy you know like there's there's no or even the infrastructure of the organization to go to bat for him so you know that hurts him because you know we talk about the silliness with the hat but that would actually be like kind of interesting like what what do you like if you pulled a hundred baseball fans, our age or older. How many? Like, how we're gonna get? We're probably gonna get a relatively even amount for what do you think of? Except maybe the Brewers, but the baseball card collectors will think about them with the Brewers. Uh, I think a lot of people, even though it was a short time, will think about them with the Yankees, you know, and and the Tigers will will be in there as well. And I I don't even I barely even remember him as a Dodger. I don't know why. I remember him as I think a Marlin. I think of him more as a Dodger. Maybe that was just the years that I was like probably most in tune to baseball, but some of the best years of his career, 3 plus seasons there. But it, it's funny you mention this. I was scrolling through pictures, I was trying to find like a lead picture for this story. You know, and of course it comes up chronologically, so the first thing I see is like Mets pictures. I'm like, no one thinks of Gary Sheffield as a Met. I don't want a, a Mets cap on this. I think it's the Tigers. And I was like, well, a little bit. But does anyone like Gary Sheffield was a Tiger? I was like, I don't think so. And then I was like, well, what is the like the iconic Gary Sheffield photo? Like, what hat does he need to be wearing? And I don't know what the answer is to it. So, like, you could argue Marlins. That's where he won the World Series. He had some great years there. Yankees and Dodgers, probably the most visible. He was great as a Brave, but it was only two years. I don't think anyone... And this becomes part of the Sheffield story, too, because there was, without getting into the whole thing, there was drama, usually, when he was changing teams. There was usually some sort of dispute or some sort of something going on. That's a generalization. Like, he waved a no-trade clause to go from the Marlins to the Dodgers, which he didn't have to do. 
but he's part of that fire sale. Um, so part of that is probably on Sheffield a little bit, but part of that, I think, yeah, like contributes to why he seems to be perceived or treated differently than, than a lot of guys um, of his stature. Well, it, it's important to also note that it's going to make me sound very anti-Florida right now, but sorry. It's important to note that when you win a World Series with a team, traditionally that endears you to a fan base forever. Like if you're like one of the stalwarts of, of that team, right? Like, uh, you know, like, you know, name any, like if Mickey had won a World David Series. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. You know, like any of these guys, you know, that's, that's what we do in society is we reward winners. But if the Florida Marlins, then, yeah, then Florida Marlins had, like, actual ownership or, like, actual, like, reliable fan base, that would be – that he would be a Florida Marlin forever. You know yeah. what I mean? And and that's just not the case. And I'd love to know what Jim Leland's thoughts are on this. I know he typically doesn't kind of delve in those waters too much, but he did manage them twice, you know, so – I I I'd be curious to see what uh, what all. Yeah, Leland Leland was asked at his Hall of Fame induction about Chef or induction press conference about Sheffield, and he didn't get into his personal like relationship a whole lot. Um, it's always said that you know Sheffield loves Leland number one, but he did say you know he was asked what would make Gary Sheffield a Hall of Famer, and Leland said, well that's easy. Uh, there was a long period of years where he was the most feared right-handed hitter in the game. Yeah. I think he's right, and Leland said until Albert Pujols came along. All kind of checks out there. Um, I guess Sosa would qual would would fall, but even like you're talking the '90s, like you know from '90. 90... Gary Sheffield hit almost won a triple crown in 1992. Like that's how long this guy was good. This guy was good from basically '92 to. 2007 he was a freaking good hitter yeah and i remember obviously coming off the disappointment of 06 but when they when they acquired sheffield i remember being like okay well this this looks like a team that's primed to you know try to go do it again obviously it didn't work out uh but but that was the feeling still in 2007 it's like oh we got gary sheffield uh, like we're, we're like we're we're still like at, we're still kind of going for it. You know what I mean? Like in 2007, yeah. I felt that way. Um, and then the, the decline started happening with age. And and I will say this: we since we did say there's like some alleged links to to steroid use, I will say he has addressed it. I believe in one of his books where he said like his numbers never dipped after the alleged use. So I just want to put that out there in fairness to him. Is Sheffield, yeah, Sheffield's talked. He he said he's never knowingly used steroids while also kind of admitting, being one of few players to admit to probably steroid use, because he's talked about using the cream from Balco, happened during a, according to Sheffield, happened during basically a three-week stint when he was working with Barry Bonds. Um, he had had surgery, his stitches busted, they put some ointment to help the, the wound heal, apparently that was the cream. In 2004, he told Sports Illustrated about using a scar cream on his leg uh, uh, to, to help the scar heal better. Um, every night says he just thought it was a cortisone. Uh, he was named in the Mitchell report. I went through a fun exercise this week. When read a bunch of the Mitchell report, it's just excerpts from Gary Sheffield's book saying what I just told you. Like there, there, yeah. there ain't much of nothing new in the Mitchell report. Now game of shadows 
cites a workout calendar from Greg Anderson, the, the Balco trainer, that supposedly reflects um, HGH and testosterone used from Sheffield. And it's kind of like one line. There's one chapter in the book about Sheffield. Um, really the only thing more damning than Sheffield detailing the cream is one line in Game of Shadows. So I, I'm not saying he didn't use steroids. I think he's admitted to using the cream that was probably a steroid. Uh, but it seems like more of like a, a, a dalliance, to dabble into steroids based on any facts we actually have rather than like this dude was juicing for a prolonged period of time, hoping to hoping to bump his numbers up. So I don't know if that should be in, taken into consideration. Like I said, man, I don't care. I'd vote for every single one of these guys. Maybe a little more torn on A-Rod and Manny who failed, who, who served suspensions after MLB had instituted actual policies. But I'd probably still vote for them too. Yeah, well, um, like if you just go through the ballot right now, it's like a stacked ballot. You know what I mean? Like it's stacked. And those and there are guys that have aged out already. But again, like Alex Rodriguez is in there, and and it, it just feels, it just feels weird that these guys that we like, like I said at the top, that we grew up knowing they were Hall of Famers, watching the milestones, and you know, that kind of be taken away from us, especially when, and again, I know this is not apples to apples, but especially when these guys are still, like, involved in the game in some fa- capacity. Mm-hmm. Like, A-Rod, was, you know, does the, uh, you know, he's a broadcaster. Uh, and Bond says gone and, you know, and, and McGuire have been, like, hitting coaches, you know. And, and Sheffield, I think, is still, like, you know, I think he's involved in this, like, dream, uh, is it dream series or whatever. Uh, the ML, MLB's, like, you know, try to yeah. increase participation among African Americans and in baseball and all that stuff. Like, he's involved in all these things. Like, he's still involved in the game. Uh, and I, I will also say this, too, about Gary, and I mean this with, like, such admiration. He is, he's not a businessman he's a business man i think partially why he moved teams so much is he always thought he was worth more and more power to him we're pro labor on this podcast you know go earn as much money as you can uh i could tell you having work having what well, says i work in the sports memorabilia field there's a lot of gary sheffield stuff out there like game used bats gloves helmets you know all these things that like he signs and He's got a little, uh, like a little marketing thing. It's like chef approved or something. It's like a chef hat, you know, like it's really well done. So he, you know, he, he's moving product, I guess you could say. And, uh, and I respect that. But again, that leads me to think like he's in the memorabilia world. He's got one of the more noteworthy rookie cards of that era, right? When they were, uh, you know, flushing the market with these rookie cards, he's got one of the more better ones from that era. And yet there's still an absence of Gary Sheffield. And so I think he got, what, 44% last year? Uh, 55. 55, okay, 55. Which in any of, if he had three years left, I think maybe that would mean he's probably on track to get in. But last year of eligibility, I don't know. And, yeah, I remember. You look at at the the publicly released ballots so far, which is like, I think over 70% of them have been made public. Sheffield is like, at like 75.1 or 75.2 percent so as of that he'd be getting in but the number the thought is the number always dips once all the ballots come in i have my theory on that probably these guys who ain't releasing their ballots to the public (laughs) probably because they're not online probably because they're They're very old and very 
white and probably don't they probably don't like Gary Sheffield. Yeah, yeah, and you know, like uh, you know, thinking back, and on... that's not just Sheffield. The, the 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 vote total for pretty much everyone does go, go yeah. does go down a little bit when the all the ballots come in. And I always, you know, I always respected, like you said, like the swag. And, and I remember when he made that controversial comment about the lack of participation among uh, African-American players. And, and he kind of put the screws to, uh, to executives. And, and, and I'm, I'm going to paraphrase this, so tell me if I'm wrong. But it was something to the effect of, uh, he, in his view, executives viewed like players from Latin America as more easy to control, I think he used the word because uh because they're foreigners in a foreign country you know and he got a lot of flack for that as opposed to obviously african-americans who you know live in the united states and he got a lot of flack for that but i think at the time carlos guillen kind of backed him up on that he was like you know it's it's kind of was kind of ahead of his time on some a, a lot of things really can, uh, can you imagine him in the social media era that'd be right great. like would he be more hated or more beloved? I'm not quite sure, but I... He'd be more talked about. I, he'd be more <laughs> talked about. I think there would be... I think in this era, this generation, there would be more of an understanding or appreciation of Sheffield. I'm sure we have some listeners who probably don't like Gary Sheffield. Probably think he was arrogant. Probably think he said a lot of dumb stuff. He did say a lot of dumb stuff. I thought it made him awesome. <laughs> yeah, and this guy was like the epitome of a baseball lifer. He played in the Lily World Series... Uh, he came up really young with the Brewers. Nineteen. Won a uh, didn't he win a won a silver slugger as a third baseman or something like that, and then eventually, obviously, became an outfielder, and then eventually a uh, yeah you know, DH. Like he did with the Padres, yeah, third base. And and and, and he played twenty two years, twenty two years, Cody. I mean, that's that's, that's insane. And uh, and you like to say you the knock the- on him from a baseball perspective is the defense. He was a really, really, really bad defender. Sure. And that docks his career war to about 60, which is still pretty close to Hall of Fame worthy. Happens to be higher than Dave Ortiz, Harmon Killebrew, Willie Stargell, several other. Vladimir uh, Guerrero. Vladimir Guerrero. So uh, so it's not that his war is too low. If he were an, even an average defender, his war would probably be much, much higher. Um, so he's a bad defender. All right, there's there's no way around that, but everything else about him, 509 homers, 393 career on base percentage. That's freaking hard to do. <laughs> I like that. More career walks than strikeouts. Never st- I think the most he ever struck out in a season was 83 times. This dude was a menace at the plate. You look at his similarity scores on baseball reference. Get ready. Chipper Jones, Mel Ott. Reggie Jackson, Carlos Beltran, King Griffey Jr., Fred McGriff, Mickey Mantle. Well, that's some Hall of Famers right there. <laughs> that's some good company. That's some that's some really and good And this guy's company. not in the Hall of Fame. Why? Yeah. Like Carlos Beltran might get in for being a ringleader in a sign-stealing scandal, like actually going on the field and cheating and defying the game. Like, I don't know about that. Yeah. Well, it, it's, it's a weird thing. I wonder if he doesn't get in because there's been – and again, I'm not trying to keep bringing up Schilling, but obviously he's one of the more uh, outspoken people. I'll say that. Yeah. But he did say like, you know, like after he his ballot ran its course, he was like, you know, I'd rather be voted. It's kind of like an anti-media thing. It's like I'd rather be voted in by my peers than you know the media or whatever. So I wonder if there's any consolation similarly in Gary Sheffield's mind. 
just just in general because sometimes that's something that people can kind of talk themselves into uh but the, sh- the shame of it is it's like we all know they're hall of famers we like we we, we don't have to go visit cooperstown new york Ugh. we don't have to visit cooperstown new york to know gary sheffield was a hall of famer barry bonds was a hall of famer all these guys were hall of famers uh but they're kind of being kept out it's like the one thing it's like the one power uh, a, yeah. baseball has over them basically we're still using it as this this final moral authority uh 20 years after the steroid era and that's what i don't get what i personally don't agree with yeah so well looking forward to to reading that story i'm sure there's a lot of a lot of gold in there and uh and i just want to say i appreciated and still do appreciate gary sheffield because i think um he was ahead of his time a little bit. Remember that thing I said about Jason Williams where you see, like, the highlights, and it's like, yeah, but he wasn't really that good. It's just the highlights are good. Every swing of Sheffield is like the Jason Williams highlights, except he was actually that good, you know? <laughs> For 22 years, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so, uh, so, yeah. Uh, all right, Cody. Um, a little bit of a little bit of a roster thing here as we kind of wrap up a little bit of a shorter pod um, as we are gearing up for spring training. Um I want to go back to Scooble for a second. I want to go back to Scooble for yeah. a second because I was thinking, you know, this this guy has a chance to be like, like there's going to be the term like breakout next year if he pitches, you know, like he's capable. He's going to be a breakout player. Everyone's going to be talking about him. Obviously, if you've been paying attention, you, he wouldn't be a breakout player. But national media, national relevance, Tigers haven't been good. We all get it. We understand. Tarek Skubal is going to be this year's A.J. Hinch. Now, let me explain what that means. What I mean by that is that anytime the past couple years, especially that first year, uh, there was any sort of prospective managerial opening, and the Tigers are either bad or so-so or whatever, there's, like, people are just kind of, like, whispering. It's like, oh, could this be... Maybe AJ will want to go there, you know, after he just kind of, you know, is tired of this Tigers thing or whatever. And I feel like that's been put to rest. Similarly, if the Tigers are not good and these guys don't develop as hitters and all this stuff, come trade deadline time, I mean, we've already experienced it, but it's going to be even more, it's going to be even louder. It's like, oh, could the Tigers move Scooble? Should they move Scooble? You know, what could they get for Scooble? Blah, blah, blah. Oh, the Yankees really love Scooble. Oh, you know, the uh, do the Dodgers have room in their rotation for Scooble? Uh, you know, there, it's going to be a lot of that. And so we've seen him not be too happy with uh, with kind of being in the, in the trade wins. Legitimate or illegitimate, he was out there in the trade wins. And we've seen him. You've talked to him at a time. Like, he... Does not like that. Seems like he wants to be a Tiger. So, my advice to Tarek Skubal would be, you know, don't pay attention to Twitter. It's not a real place, number one. Number two, you better, you're about as invested as anybody in Special Torgelson continuing to improve, Riley Green continuing to improve and stay healthy, uh, Colt Keith getting off to a good start, and all these other things. Because once the Tigers start winning, then we can alleviate a lot of this, uh, you know, should they trade schoolable stuff. So I, then you're gonna, you're not gonna be able to do that unless those guys continue to pop or whatever. So he's as invested as anybody 
in in the Tigers winning because he doesn't want to be in trade rumors. And if they're losing, I guarantee you that's happening. So you think you're rooting for the Tigers to do well. His ass is rooting for the Tigers to do well if he does not want to get traded or you know have to live in this limbo as a, a ball player that may or may not be moved. So uh, that's just my thing about Tarek Skubal, the new A.J. Hinch of the 2024 Tigers. I like that comparison. Uh, makes me laugh a little bit because it's, it's kind of spot on. I don't think we've heard the last of Skubal in trade rumors. Uh, if he pitches to his peak, it's going to keep coming up because... Hey, you need some hitters? Well, there's one way you can do it. You can trade Scoogle. And there have been times in the past I've been almost been like, I think maybe the Tigers should do it. Kind of backing off that now, uh, at least for this year. Uh, but, but I guess we'll see how things unfold. I get why people bring it up. And other teams are interested in them. They're going to call. They're going to ask. doesn't mean the Tigers are going to move them. But it will continue to be a conversation, no doubt. Yeah. And he's a Boris client, so yeah. in... 2025 when he has one year left on his deal and you know he's probably not gonna sign with you before hitting free agency maybe it becomes a whole other <laughs> discussion all over again even if the tigers are good yeah this next arb hearing i recommend uh just giving up the extra 25k that'd be uh that <laughs> <laughs> that that'd be, that'd be my advice uh no offense to to casey but obviously school has proven it at a higher level for uh for longer um but it also got me thinking cody there's there's i, I wanted to kind of put several players in the two categories uh cautious or or caution or excitement and as i was kind of going through uh the roster or you know, some guys kind of popped in. I realize there's actually more, or more that are interesting, I should say, of guys that are, well, I'll say, CEs of the team. Caution and excitement. Because, like, there's a lot riding on Colt Keith, and there's a lot of excitement on Colt Keith, but you're as, uh, you're as loud as anybody saying, like, I get it, I believe in him, but it's still hard. We've seen multiple examples of, of guys like not making this transi- transition seamlessly. I put him in that category. I put Riley Green in that category just from basically the health standpoint where, and we've talked about it a couple times this offseason, where it's like, we know he's good. We don't know how good he could be, but we still need to see that to the – we still haven't gotten the full Riley Green experience, as, as I would say. Um, and I think Casey Mize is in that category. Like – what is Casey Mize? What is Casey Mize? You got a question about that in the mailbag and, you know, threw some numbers out there. And what did I say? He's made like 40-something career starts. Like, it's not a lot. 49. 49. 49 career starts. 39. Uh, 39, excuse me. Like, he, uh, we don't, even before Tommy John, like, we had no idea what kind of season he was projected to go on to because that was like, what, his second start um, that, that, that he came out of or whatever. So, like, what – I'm excited for him because I still see the potential there, but you can't not be cautious about Casey Mize. And another one that's a little bit – a little bit more under the radar, which is funny because he was probably one of the more exciting players last year, at least when he came up, Parker Meadows. Like, let's spend a little, a little time on Parker Meadows. Do we have a role, like a solidified – role for parker meadows like you're doing this or are we still kind of like waiting a little bit 
uh, and there's and and there are factors like kind of outside of his control that will dictate that role, like the health of Riley Green, uh, uh in some ways. Like I mean, everyone seems to be everyone, including the Detroit Tigers brain trust, seems to be thinking his role is everyday center fielder. Yeah. That 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 can't be a heavy-handed like statement, you know. Like it just it can't be because you still need a lot of growth at the plate, right? That's that's why like Parker Meadows is a lot of fun to watch. He did some pretty good things in thirty-seven games last year. People constantly tell you that September is a very bad time for evaluation, though. So let's keep that in mind. Like I like Meadows, but there's there's still a lot of swing and miss there. As I wrote in the mailbag. I think the good news is his offensive standard doesn't have to be crazy high. If he plays premium defense and, and gives you premium base running, he can hit 220. You hope he walks at a league average rate and sprinkles in some power because he does have quite a bit of sneaky power. Maybe there's a world in which he hits 15, 20 homers and he's a gold glover and he's a, he's a freaking three, four win center fielder. I think more realistically, there are going to be some struggles and the there's going to be still a lot of strikeouts in the batting average. You hope it's enough, you know, this year. He, he's going to be 24. This is going to be his true uh, rookie season. Like, I think there are going to be some growing pains at the plate for Parker Meadows. Well, I mean, you, one could argue that maybe we're overlooking this a little bit. Like, you're, I, th- I think it's been overlooked, yeah. Like, because there's... We know what he we we know what his base of contribution is, but if you're a team that's you know relying on a rookie to 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 get out of the the jump well, you know, Matt Beerling to kind of like make some incremental improvements, uh, Torque to get on base more, like he's got to be a more complete hitter. You know the health of Riley, like. You start listing the things that could be concerning, and then you're like, oh, yeah, and then you got Parker Meadows, who, you know, at worst is Jake Marisnik every day as your center fielder. It's like, suddenly I'm a little bit more concerned. <laughs> <laughs> and I hope and I hope I don't have those concerns. But, like, I can't not. So, like, he's in that category as well. Um, what about Flaherty? Is he a CE guy? Like, 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 you have to have caution because – you kind of took him as like a little bit of a rehab project, but you're also relying on him and they seem to tell us they have a role and they have all these ideas. But, uh, and this is not me being dismissive of like uh, baseball scout Twitter. I think there's a lot of great guys out there that do a lot of great, great guys and gals that do a lot of great work, but they're kind of in unison on this one, uh, on Flaherty. So, and, and you, and you've expressed your concerns too. I mean, that's, Maybe more C than E, but yeah, you... I, I, I'm not seeing a lot of E, a lot of excitement there yet. Like there's potential for excitement, but I gotta, I gotta see something before I become actually excited. Yeah, and then uh, you know, there's, I guess there's like age concerns with Maeda, and uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, and uh, Alex Fiedo. Like there's, there's a, not really like exciting about Fiedo, but there's a time that we were, and now we're not really sure whether he's going to make the team. Like, there's there's a lot of layers uh, to this team where... Uh, well, you know, at least, at least you have a $25 million shortstop. <laughs> yeah, see... Oh, uh, hmm, wait. <laughs> there'd be... He would firmly be in the C category there, Cody. That one wasn't uh, hard to slot. 
Um, Javier, he's he's Javier until uh, until we see something good in, in, in season. So there you go. I, like, there's the. This is why I don't think anything is a slam dunk. This is why I think the the range of outcomes is so wide. So you list off all these things that are kind of concerning, and then you can be like, well, who do you think is going to win the AL Central? And the Twins are probably favorites, but I don't know that it's by much. And the Tigers finished second place last year. It's kind of crazy because they weren't really that good. And I put the Tigers second and not that far off from the Twins. Yeah, I mean, the Tigers would be a team that if uh, you were listening to, like, baseball gambling pods, they'd be like, yo, here's a decent, you know, bet with some upside to win the division. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's – as we approach closer, I just find myself kind of, like, zeroing in on the things that, like, concern me. I don't know why that is. You know, the offseason is all excitement. but now- it's not spring yet. Wait until, <laughs> wait until February. People are going to be, oh, Colt Keith is so great. The Tigers are going to – the Dark Horse World Series contenders. The excitement comes more in, in February and March. Yeah. That's that's the truth. Who's going to be – can you make a prediction right here? Who's going to be best shape of their life guy? Miguel be- Cabrera. Come on. <laughs> he's going to show up at least once. Miggy in retirement. He's, he's going to be looking all relaxed. He's going to be Miggy forever. No, we have, to, we have to have a new crown. We have to have a new crown. Uh well, I guess Javi Baez huh. is a natural one. Yeah. His, his probably like off season regimen will be the most discussed, I think. And then I guess you got Riley Green too. I think those are the two guys that will be the most talked about in terms of like, what'd you do? How healthy are you? How what shape are you in? So wild card on that one, Torque. I uh, got stronger. Maybe. I yeah. Stronger. You know, I, I, I went to the I, more, you know but, and, yeah. and include yeah. you know tried to increase uh, hand speed. You know, like I did a lot of agility drills where I, you know, I, you know, like that's your dark horse right there. There you go. I can see it. <sighs> All right, I can, I can start writing some of these stories now, man. <laughs> you got them the armed and ready every year. You want to go out late nights in Lakeland, just have the stories <laughs> written now, and then you just file it with some quotes, and uh, you know, you're home free. <laughs> Anything else, go before we get out of here? Uh, no, that's it. Also, lawyer, I'm not actually going to do that. This is a joke. Come on. Don't be like that John K guy in my comments who says I'm like plagiarizing or doing weird stuff. Come on. Um, first of all, I'm not going to, yeah, it's not a thing. Cause he's the Stanley no. cups of journalists. The Stanley cups of journalists does not Here's plagiarize. Right. So just saying, um, no, I don't. I, I literally have never done that. Um, also, yeah, I don't, I don't pre-write my stories, but you can easily. You guys at home could could pre-write some of this <laughs> stuff in spring training. Come on. Yeah, once, you know, it's not your first rodeo, uh, so to say. All right, well, you can follow Cody on X, formerly known as Twitter, at Cody Stavenhagen. I am at Kieran underscore Steckley. Pod page is at Turn Corner Pod. Apple, Spotify, please subscribe if you feel so inclined. Five-star review if you feel so inclined. YouTube, Turn the Corner Podcast. And subscribe to The Athletic because uh, I got a feeling. That's going to be one hell of a Gary Sheffield story. So looking forward to reading that, Cody. So for Cody Stavenhagen, I am Kieran Steckley. Everybody have a great week.